0: When you first approach the Barden Bible, you are a bit uneased. He usually greets you by this point. The warmth of the fire washing over you from the open door, and a hail-and-well-met weary traveler echoing through the stillness. You begin to worry if something may be wrong, but there is still light in the window, and you still hear the clinking of glasses. Upon the door is a note... Illuminated letters slightly fading against the weather. Lacking any other recourse, you read it. "'My dear friends and patrons, "'I find myself far afield these days, "'and though my road will eventually wind its way home again, "'you will not find me behind the bar or at the door for quite a while. "'Take heart, though, gentle traveler. "'I have not left you without hearth fire or comfort.' I've called upon my friends of the guild. Wandering bards will cease their wandering for a while to find home-tending bar and telling you tales. Now their voices and their stories will be different than what you've come to expect, and we'll all be better for that, I'm sure. Rest merry adventurer, the Barden Bible is still your place of refuge. I look forward to hearing all about what has happened while I'm gone. Until then, it's signed, Mike Perna, your not-so-resident Dwarf Bard. Hello,
1: hello, come on in, have a seat, make yourself comfortable. You look surprised. Oh, uh, you were expecting someone else, the the regular guy, the little one with the thing. No, he's off, very important work, I I can't even talk about it. He asked me to come here and provide you with the regular evenings, entertainment, and erudition, and it's quite a set of shoes to fill, but I will do my best. So take a moment, get comfortable, as I said, let me gather my thoughts, and I'll begin the story. You probably saw, if you're on the board of social media, across your port bow, a very strange sight a few weeks ago, and that was a group of celebrities, actors, models, things like that, going to an event. Now, that's not very strange. I'm sure you see that all the time, probably far more than you'd like. But in this case, and this is why I think you probably saw this, they were wearing some very strange clothing. Now, once again, that's not a particularly strange occurrence, but this clothing was religious. There was Rihanna in a bishop's hat, there was Zendaya dressed as Joan of Arc, there was Chadwick Boseman dressed as a pope of some sort, and there was a lot of people I didn't recognize wearing a lot of clothing that seemed to be taken from either religious garment or religious imagery. This was passed around, this was remarked upon, this was shared by all sorts of people, religious and non-religious, for the sheer novelty of seeing celebrities dressed in religious garb. Now, I knew this was going to come before a lot of people did, because I was following the news of the event that this fashion show red carpet kind of thing was celebrating, which apparently, and this was all new to me, there is a Met Gala, which is a Oscars of Fashion Week. And celebrities all come, they wear outrageous clothing, and there's some sort of fashion-related something happens at the Metropolitan Museum in New York. And I was aware that this particular year, the theme of the exhibition at the museum, and it's there right now, was Heavenly Bodies, Fashion and the Catholic Imagination. It was actually something co-sponsored by the Vatican. A bunch of historic vestments were being on loan, uh, liturgical dress, uh, historic, and designers had been commissioned to create pieces inspired by the religious artifacts that were on loan. So, most people saw the celebrities going to the event, they saw the fashion show, they knew that Catholicism was the theme of the show, but they didn't realize how much the church itself was involved in this project. They sometimes saw it very negatively, sometimes saw it very positively as a blasphemous thing. I remember one online commenter saying some kind of like deliciously blasphemous or some line like that theme of Catholicism, not realizing that the event itself was, well, with the cooperation of the Vatican. Now, as I said, some people saw this as obviously blasphemous, rich, rich. Irreligious millionaires dressing up in priest clothes and Virgin Mary clothes and parading around and getting photographs. Others saw it as a, a good thing, an embrace of the imagery and iconography of the faith. Most people just saw it as a novelty. I mean, it's Zendaya dressed as Joan of Arc. It's Rihanna in a bishop's hat. That's new. That's interesting. That's original. So it did make the rounds. I'd never seen a Met Gawa get the level, I've never heard of a Met Gala before this year, and I never, certainly never saw one get this level of attention and sharing online. I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about that, about different ways of looking at that phenomenon. Now, some of these outfits, obviously, and the celebrities' involvement, obviously were an expression of genuine faith. You can read interviews where some that are religious talked about incorporating their religious heritage into the garment they were wearing. Or some of the designers, I don't know if you knew this, but a lot of fashion designers are Italian or French, and a lot of them had interviews where they talked about being raised Catholic. They didn't a lot of them didn't mean this to be deliberately blasphemous or shocking or puerile. They were honestly trying to pay tribute to their faith or their upbringing or their background. And of course, some were deliberately trying to be shocking, blasphemous, puerile, etc. Those were getting lots of titters on Twitter. Most people and most of the designers, however, were just tr- weren't going to either extreme. They weren't pro-religious, they weren't anti-religious, they were just trying to do something beautiful. They found the visual style of Catholic garment, of traditional Catholic iconography to be something beautiful. And that's worth digging into. That's worth mentioning. Because the positive and the negative are obvious. If somebody is creating this outfit to celebrate their faith, that's a wonderful thing from a religious perspective. If someone's trying to be deliberately shocking or blasphemous, that's a bad thing from a religious perspective. But I think the majority of people involved, I certainly think the majority of reactions I saw online, are from that medium ground, that just engagement with beauty. And that's a good too though. That's not neutral from the perspective of faith. That's the kind of thing I want to dig into and talk about is that bringing the faith to someone, evangelizing the culture, isn't just a matter of that absolute positive or absolute negative. It's a nebulous process and that seeing the faith, seeing Catholicism in this case as a source of beauty, it might seem neutral to us, and a lot of people might have seen it as neutral, a neutral reaction, but it isn't. That's also a movement toward the faith. Now, you saw this play out in microcosm on Twitter. Normally, I would never recommend anyone go to Twitter for anything, but in this case, I make an exception because there was a Twitter thread called hashtag, I can't hashtag, Metzona which, once again, I avoid Twitter, it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy, but this is something worth looking at. MetSona. A number of artists started asking themselves the question, what would I have designed? And a number of them came up with really stunning pieces. Honestly, much more original, much more interesting than a lot, almost all the pieces celebrities actually wore. So, And some of them were, of course, blasphemous. You had a lot more demons on Twitter and a lot more direct sort of critiques or blasphemous. trying to be shocking. But that was, like at the Met Gala, a small percentage. The majority were just trying to create something beautiful. Now, some of them, just like the celebrities at the Met Gala, were coming from a place of, if not genuine faith at the moment from religious background or religious heritage. A number of them, it would really be a fascinating personal anecdote for these artists on Twitter. They would comment on they were modeling the garment after imagery of a particular saint because it was their grandmother had a devotion. They'd always see the picture when they went to their grandmother's house, Uh, a particular religious image that their mother had, a particular uh, prayer they were taught at school or a piece of religious art they had at their church or their school. That's a genuine engagement. That's something that really, from a religious perspective, is just a positive. But a number of them were just engaging with beauty. They were looking at the heritage of religious art as something separate from religion, in this case, Catholicism itself. I read a number of variations of the comment, I love, I hate the Catholic Church. I love its art. I hate religion. I love religious art. Things like that. I'm sure you've run into that sort of thing. And that's really something worth looking at. That might seem like a neutral statement, but it isn't. That is a move toward faith, engagement with beauty. Now, one of them, I recall this really stuck in my head. She modeled her outfit on the Book of Kells. And in the Twitter comment back and forth, she said, I actually saw the Book of Kells in Dublin. And it's the closest thing I've ever come to a religious experience. And she put in air quotes, you know, Twitter quotes. And I'm, I'm sure this was meant to be kind of a joke and kind of flip. But the thing is, I don't think it totally was a joke. I think that she did have an experience of transcendence when she saw the Book of Kells. And really, if you're familiar with it at all, it would be hard not to. And that is a good beauty can be a form of evangelization. Beauty can be, in a sense, the most powerful form of evangelization we have access to. Now, I, when you get a Catholic on to do this, you're going to have a lot of talking before we get to the Bible. But I understand this is a general devotional podcast, so I probably should put in some Bible there at all. And the first is putting the faith out in the world. You take the risk of blasphemy. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas heal a crippled man and are mistaken for Zeus and Hermes and are worshipped and they have to yell at the priests and the people who are trying to sacrifice bulls to them. And that's really ridiculous. It's one of the sillier stories in Acts. That's certainly a mistake. It's certainly a problem. But the alternative is not healing the crippled man. By showing the great power of Jesus... They were taking the risk of idolatry. They were taking the risk of being misunderstood and misrepresented. They didn't let that stop them on their mission. They certainly didn't let it stop them from healing other people. Even every time they did this in a pagan city, there was always that risk. In the same way, if we engage the culture, if we share the face with the culture, especially with the arts, if we try and communicate faith in the arts, we try and engage faith in the arts, we take the risk of Blasphemy, or even just flat out error. There's probably a number of those outfits where I kind of seem blasphemous, but they weren't intending to. But a story I'd really like to ground this in is in Acts 17, Paul's speech at Athens, because like all people talking about missionary work to the culture, I'm going to talk about Paul's speech at Athens, because we are in, he there is engaging a pagan culture. And it says there's a note that the Athenians, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, All day they talked of all, they did nothing but talk of things that were new. The Athenians are portrayed as obsessed with novelty, telling or hearing something new. That's the line. And that's, I think, a lot of what we saw in the reaction to this Met Gala online. It wasn't a particularly deep reaction. It wasn't just a, a particularly spiritual reaction or deep grappling with some of the iconography, symbolism, theology. It was, look at that! Rihanna got a Pope hat. is dressed as Joan of Arc. Look at all this! It's new, it's interesting, it's a distraction. It's feeding the endless internet machine of distracting ourselves. But maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. And maybe it's not a totally new thing or totally a product of Twitter or the internet in general, even a desire for novelty. And Paul didn't let him turn that off. He engaged them. He took advantage of that. He said, hey, whatever gets your man on base. And he addressed them saying, I see you are very religious in all things. Now, the plethora of gods in Athens is the kind of thing that makes a, a good Jewish or Christian person probably very uncomfortable, but Paul used it as a point of engagement. And he talked about the temple of the the shrine of the unknown God. He said, you have this shrine of this unknown God. There is this thing in your life, and it probably wasn't intentional. I don't know if they had meant the shrine of the unknown God to be a shrine to the God who created heaven and earth. But Paul could interpret it that way. There was a, a space, there was a window that was open in their imagination, in their worship Paul approached it positively, and he used that to try and communicate the faith. And it said most of them didn't listen to him, but some of them did. Some of them became believers. That's a win. And there's a very good chance that some of those Athenians just incorporated what Paul was saying into their regular polytheistic novelty excess practice. Maybe it was a trend for a while, this new religion from Israel, And then it just faded away. But some of them became believers. That window was enough. Now, in a sense, when we try and share the faith with the culture, the wider culture, we have it a little worse than Paul. Because Paul was at least starting at zero. The message of the gospel was a completely new thing. There weren't preconceptions. But I guarantee you, in the modern American internet, Twitter-type culture, we're not starting at zero with almost anyone. They have preconceptions. They have ideas. In, In many cases, they have a great resistance, a great negativity. We're not starting at zero. We're starting with a big negative in the balance book. Some of that is probably totally fair. Either individual bad experiences they've had with the church or knowledge of past sins of the church, cultural bad experiences, or just other points of conflict that really we could – not worth going into right now. But anyway, my point stands. We're not starting at zero. We're starting with a great negative balance. And to approach with some of the doctrines, some of the ideas of the faith, you have this enormous resistance. And as I said, some of which is almost certainly justified. But beauty bypasses that. Beauty avoids engaging the areas that have those stereotypes, or those bad experiences, those misconceptions, or those totally accurate conceptions. That artist who said the Book of Kells was the closest thing she had to a religious experience, that's, God can work with that. You see, taking the faith. Learning it involves messing it up. That's part of engaging a culture. It's part of engaging any culture. That's part of engaging an individual life. I'm quite confident that everyone that has been religious for a while, devoutly practicing for a while, looks back on their early days of the faith with some embarrassment. All of us have something we look back and go, Ooh, I really was not right about that. Or, oh, I really made a jerk of myself to some people. I wish I could go tell my younger self to just chill out a little bit. The When we give my son a nativity set, a play school nativity set, he's five years old. He was five years old. We gave him the play school nativity set. And we did that because we want him to incorporate the faith into his imagination. And that's the key with the arts. And that's the key with a lot of coming to faith in general when you incorporate it into your art, helps the faith become part of the, our imagination. We wanted our son to have that, to familiarize himself with it, to know the story, to act out the story, and to feel a sense of connection and ownership of that nativity story. And that means that sometimes Darth Vader attacks baby Jesus and Batman fights him. And that's okay. In the same way, if we ask artists to engage with the faith, they're going to get stuff wrong. There's going to be blasphemy, and there's going to be stuff that's unfair, and there's going to be stuff that's flat-out wrong, and that's okay. That's part of the process because engaging with the faith is itself an act that brings you closer to God, just to take the faith seriously and to think, how do I, seeing it as a source of beauty, and thinking of how I would take that beauty, how I would make something out of that, that engages the imagination, that brings the gospel into the imagination. Maybe not in an explicit or verbal way, but not as an argument or a set of premises, but it doesn't need to be an argument or a set of premises. Most of us don't fall in love because of a set of Words of arguments, of premises, of ideas, of a balance sheet—we fall in love because of experiences and memories and moments of profound beauty. And the faith can be the same way. People can come to the faith through this, these moments of beauty, and that's worth the risk of blasphemy. That's worth the risk of even just error on well-meaning but. Maybe really terrible error. Because we had this in the Renaissance as well, you know. We remember the Renaissance art. We can look at that as a great example, very well-known example of the faith engaging the arts. But there were people that were making pieces that were trying to be blasphemous or trying to be shocking or trying to engage the novelty of juxtaposing religious figures with a-religious things, things like that. There were Renaissance hipsters as well. And nobody outside of art history circles remembers those. Those don't have the impact that the great works of faith do. You have something like the Sistine Chapel. You have something like the Last Supper. As far as I know, da Vinci wasn't a particularly religious person, but he created a work that's communicated a biblical story to people, that's helped them imagine it, that's moved them, that's helped make it more real for them. Just because he was trying to make a great painting. He had a Bible story. He was trying to make a good painting. That engaging with the arts. You see, the faith isn't a Ming vase. We don't have to lock it in a cabinet and worry it's going to get dirty or cracked. It's something alive. And if we believe it's alive, we believe that wherever those seeds can be planted, wherever it can touch people, wherever people can have a moment of beauty or joy or happiness or service, commute with the faith, that's going to be a seed that's planted. And sometimes the seeds might fall on stony ground. But the answer to that is not never throw the seeds because of the risk that they'll fall on stony ground. The faith isn't something we need to lock up and protect for the fear that people will mess it up. It's alive, and if we just let it out, it does the job for us. If you truly believe the faith is alive, if you truly believe the faith is truth and beauty and goodness, then it's worth the risk to engage with the culture and engage with the arts. It's worth the risk of the occasional renaissance hipster, the occasional blasphemous piece of art because nobody's going to remember those in a hundred years and they're not even going to have that much of an impact on people. There'll be a novelty that's tittered about and shared, a naughty transgression that thrills people and then forgotten. But I think this fashion show, the, the real attempt to reflect the faith... I think that is going to have an impact. Not in a direct way. I don't think necessarily there will be that many people that will be able to say, I converted, I believe in Jesus because of Zendaya's St. Joan of Arc outfit. But connecting religion, connecting Christianity, Catholicism with beauty, and just putting it out there into people's eyes, engaging that desire for novelty, some of them might become believers someday. And that's worth it. In the same way, some of these artists on Twitter, it might be something. It might be, lead some back to a faith of their childhood, or it might lead some to faith in the future that didn't have it before. Once again, I don't know if they'll be able to even draw a straight line from a piece of myself I drew dressed as a saint to coming to know Jesus... Con- spreading the faith, contact with the faith, with the beauty of the faith, that is good and that has meaning, even if we don't see it, even if we don't ever know if those seeds we scatter grow. We believe they do. And that makes them worth spreading. So in our own lives, we can try, even if we're not artists, and ideally wish I was, but we can remember that just as we live our lives, that. Making our life a work of beauty, making our life a work of love can bring people, can open people's heart to the faith and can bring people to the faith in ways we can't even imagine. So remember that as you go about your life, that it doesn't need to be an explicit spoken conversion. It doesn't need to be something that can be graphed out in a timeline. The human heart is a dark and mysterious place, and human love is a dark and mysterious thing. And we believe that all the the good that we do, all the love that we show, and all the ways we try and make the world more beautiful are doing the work of the kingdom of God. Have a good night and safe travels.